Hey everybody, it's Chris. If you're a sports fan like me, or you're just a fan of a great story, you gotta check out Press Box Access, a sports history podcast hosted by Todd Jones. Todd sits down with fellow sports writers who experienced firsthand some of the biggest sports moments of the past 50 years, and they share some of the stories behind the stories, some of which they've only told to each other. What I personally love are the wild stories that you might not hear so much about on SportsCenter over the years. Like when Indiana-based sports journalist Bob Kravitz recounts the time Bobby Knight showed up naked to an office meeting with him and then banned him from the Hoosiers' locker room for the next three years because Bob wrote a story he didn't like. Or when Alexander Wolfe tells a story about going out on the town in Chicago with Dennis Rodman and Carmen Electra in the middle of a Bulls playoff series. Or when Dan Wetzel talks about what it was like to be in the media room when Temple basketball coach John Chaney stormed into UMass coach John Calipari's press conference after a game and threatened to kill him. These wild and fun stories, paired with stories about real sports greatness, you know, like the 1970s Steelers being the greatest NFL dynasty ever, or the legendary rivalry between Larry Bird and Magic Johnson, and even the impact of protests for social justice issues in sports, make Pressbox Access a show you should check out. Pressbox Access is part of the Evergreen Podcast family, and it's available all the places you get your pods, and you can also find Pressbox Access on YouTube. Go check it out. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Hey, do you have an idea for a podcast but don't know where to start? Or do you have an already existing podcast that you want to take to the next level? Well, check out WeKnowPodcasting.com. From concept development to theme music to editing to logos, WeKnowPodcasting.com is a one-stop shop for all things pod. Don't hesitate to hit us up. We're very nice. Weedus bassist Matthew Milligan makes his third appearance on the show this week. Instead of going the usual route of discussing an artist he loves, he changed it up by choosing a band that he was unsure about. The Vines were once considered the saviors of rock and roll by some publications, but in a strange turn of events, at least one of these outlets later apologized for delivering the crown so flippantly. Should we all have paid more attention to the Vines, or were we lucky to get free of them when we did? Stay tuned to find out. So today we are here to talk about the band that Rolling Stone called the saviors of rock and roll in 2002 and NME called the best band since Nirvana, but then later apologized for saying that. (laughs) Yes, I'm talking about the Vines, a band who I know who they are. Once I started doing the research for this, I'm like, oh, yeah, 
I know this song. Oh, yeah, I know all these songs. But all these bands from this era that had the at the beginning of their name and then their name ended in an S, and I just assumed that they were all the same band. Obviously, the Strokes pulled away. Obviously, I'm well-versed in the Strokes. But the Vines, <laughs> the Vines, I, I don't know, man. Were, were you a fan of the Vines? What made you pick the Vines today? I wasn't a fan of the Vines. Okay. And actually, that's why I picked this one. Because in the we have, this is my third episode of this show, yeah. which is, I'm very excited about, by the Three way. Three-timer. Both previous episodes, I picked songs that I really dug. Yeah. And this one, something that came out, I remember this coming out. I remember this whole movements like you were just talking about with the 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 bands and the sort of like everyone was running with this like the return of the rock right attitude towards everything and it was the strokes the white stripes got lumped into that Mm -hmm. the hives the hives exactly and then the vines and as best i can tell i think the hives have kind of functioned under the radar a bit too but i mean of that four these guys definitely came in last place in terms of legacy right and the thing about this style of music which I would kind of define as sort of like garagey in a way. Maybe it's a little sure. bit reminiscent of, I don't know, music from the late 70s or something, the kinks and bands like that, right? Is that what, what they were going for? But the thing about them for me, just as a player of music, I don't know if if you would necessarily agree, but I'm always looking for something in music where I'm like, damn, I could have never thought of that. Or, whoa, that's really hard to play. And maybe that's just like from a musician's perspective. But when I hear the vines and the hives and stuff, I'm like, oh, that sounds like something those guys wrote in two minutes. That's not to say it's not catchy or not good. Yeah. But that was my impression before I dug in a little bit more today. So I was deep into the the bands. Like (laughs) I was one of those dudes who was like, hell yes. Like I was all into it. But I think, Yeah, the Vines, even back then, were kind of like last place for me. Like, the Strokes had this really interesting, like, the way the vocals were on that first album is so unique. And, like, the fact that their music video is just them playing live and you can tell that they don't give a shit about any of it. Like, there was something that was just inherently cool about the Strokes. White Stripes, it's like you've got that magic piece of, like, Jack White who can play the simplest guitar riffs on some songs and then just fucking shred for, like, five straight minutes on, like, another song. Like, some of the coolest blues guitar stuff. And then the Hives, it was all about, like, watching them live. Like, I remember they would constantly be on MTV stuff and they just had that, like... Anytime it's a band from Sweden, those dudes know how to put on a show. I don't know how to explain it otherwise. But then we get to the Vines, and they're this Australian band who really is like trying to be Nirvana. Like there's so much of like Kurt Cobain singing style that he's trying to put on. But like, I'm not sure if either of you watched the David Letterman performance of oh, Get yeah. Free, but like, oh, yeah. They were so belligerent and like out of their fucking minds out the gate that it was like, I think everyone very quickly was like, oh, we're not going to back this horse. (laughs) Like That's like a career ending television performance. It's amazing because when you watch it, I watched it again for this. I remembered it when it happened and then I watched it again. And it's it's so bad that I'm almost impressed. (laughs) 
<laughs> so I feel like it's, it's, I mean, I think what happened in it, and for people who are listening to this, you should absolutely look this up. Uh, it actually comes up on YouTube as the vines like meltdown on David Letterman. <laughs> and I think right after the first chorus, he just falls to the ground with his guitar and knocks it so far out of tune yeah. that he can't recover. Like, and then for the rest of the song, he is playing completely out of tune and just has stopped even trying to sing in the, melody of the song and my favorite thing about it is watching the poor bass player who's trying so hard to keep it together he's just doing his backing vocals and trying really hard to like play the song and oh man it is it's amazing and i think i heard that one of the members quit literally after that performance like they it was the drummer or the bassist one of them was just like i'm done with this yeah this is embarrassing there's also a story that I heard apparently shortly after that they were supposed to play on Leno's late night show and something happened in soundcheck where they did so much damage to the stage in soundcheck that they wouldn't let them on live. Wow. <laughs> and they canceled it be- right before they went on. I mean, this sounds like the formula though. And I, I too watched the performance today and yeah. I felt like, okay, He's trying to be like Kurt Cobain. I remember, you know, the crazy Nirvana. What was the Nirvana performance where? Top of Pops. Oh, yeah, that one. But they also did an MTV performance. It might have. I forget exactly what it was. It was the one where Chris Novoselic throws his bass real high in the air. And, you know, it's one of those famous. Hits him in the head on the way down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the thing about this band, when I I, want to start from the beginning with them a little bit, because I think their backstory is a little bit cool as opposed to some of these other, I mean, namely the Strokes. I don't know if you guys know the the story behind the Strokes, but basically they were super wealthy kids who all met at a like the most expensive boarding school in Switzerland or something. And I give them credit because they eventually, they did make cool music. They did end up making cool music, but they also had a leg up from the start in a lot of ways. The main way being, being super rich, but I also think that they had parents who were super connected and everything. So not the coolest backstory. The Vines, on the other hand, the backstory is that singer Craig Nichols met bassist Patrick Matthews while they were both working at McDonald's together, and they both liked Pavement, Beck, and Nirvana. So they decided to start a band together. I think that's a little bit cooler and more inspiring of a story than, you know, Silver Spoons type story. Like, so... I like that part of it. And we're talking about these this these crazy things. Apparently, Craig Nichols was a wild man. I read this story about him that some music journalist was spending time with him to write a story on him. And they went to a club and he got so excited. Craig Nichols, the singer of the Vines, got so excited that the DJ put on a Supergrass song that he doused himself with a bucket of water, got kicked out of the club, ran into traffic, jumped into a garbage can, and tried to scale a wall. <laughs> and, and, he's, and, and the journalist wrote that he did this all in like 60 seconds. So wow, it, wow. it kind of sounds in a way like the formula for like, I don't know, the perfect wild man front man. I mean, th- isn't that what everybody loves? What yeah. I, I mean, I watched the Letterman thing too, and I'm like, yeah, this sounds terrible, but like, I'm surprised that this didn't make their band way bigger. Honestly, yeah, it sounded terrible, but it didn't matter. It was, it was. We're talking about it now. Granted, we're doing a podcast about it, but on that YouTube video, it is still like 
a pretty legendary, I mean, you could certainly make the case that if you make that much of an impression, which they really did, there's no wrong way to do that. Yeah. And now looking back on it, if you did something like that intentionally on a show like that, that is incredibly brave and incredibly punk rock to go on a show of that caliber and just destroy the place. I don't know how much of it was just a coincidence and just them like being unexperienced enough or inexperienced enough to, uh, make these mistakes and not know how to correct on the fly. Right. But no, it is definitely, I, I clearly in the YouTube comments, you could see people are still talking about that to this day. Right. And I wondered if it was an authentic meltdown or was it a Kurt Cobain impression? Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Is the question I ask, and I got to say, I'm sure you guys saw this too. I watched it to the end to see what David Letterman's reaction was. I mean, I grew up watching David Letterman every night. I loved Letterman and Conan growing up. Yeah. And You know, he's doing his laugh and he goes, is he all right, Paul? Could be the West Nile, (laughs) which, you know, pretty, pretty of the time reference. But supposedly as they were leaving, Paul Schaefer said to the band uh, to not quit their day jobs yet. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) To be fair, though, the other big thing is like, I think the other problem is, yeah, that could be a star making performance, except for the fact that. I mean, I own it, and Highly Evolve is not that good of an album. Like, the Vines became a much better band the more folky their sound actually started to become. Like, their later album, Songs Like Ride, which was, like, a very big soundtrack song, like, I think the more that they got into, like, like a psychedelic sound and less a grungy garage rock throwback sound, the better they were. But, like, this was the biggest moment in the sun for them and it was like they didn't really have the album to back up the stage performances i didn't dig that far into them but i what i'll say about this is once again i couldn't have told you what songs the vine sang before i did my research for this episode but once i heard them i'm like yeah okay i know these songs actually i as i told matt like the, the song we're talking about is called get free but the song i recognized even more was a song called ride that was used in all kind of things i can't even tell you what things just like commercials and movies and shows like I feel like that song's still being used and that's one thing I want to touch on is this era of like bands that are supposed to sound like indie but they're also like major label bands (laughs) you know and that get used and just put in your ear every way whether it's in a car commercial or a you know the background of a tv show that it just sounds even though it's supposed to sound grungy and and rock it sounds pretty corporate to me in a way and i know that's that's strange of me to say it's not judging i mean to be honest i like his vocal delivery it's very aggressive shouty not completely what i expected it to be it's it's pretty aggressive i i kind of dig it you know yeah i was impressed when i went back and listened to this record how eclectic it was Mm -hmm. yeah i in my mind it was like all of their stuff sounded like this very um you know heavy nirvana influence type like grunge rock garage rock thing right and the album does touch on a lot of different stuff it is more eclectic i do think he has a good voice it's very kurt cobain which is it's unclear to me how much that's him like putting it on or if Mm -hmm. that was like you said maybe a label was really pushing him in that direction like they heard that in his voice they were like you got to lean into that which certainly is the sort of thing that could happen for someone's you know debut album you know something now this guy is known as being Hard to work with, you know, had bandmates come in and out. Last I've heard, he's the only remaining original member. Now, I know some people have come back in 
recent years. I, I don't know the ins and outs of who's in and out. Hard guy to work with and obviously one of these crazy front men, which once again, a lot of times that's a positive thing. People, don't people love that? Is, isn't that a thing that people, you know, everybody from when you look at, you know, the world of like the Warped Tour and stuff, you think of like Bert from the used. Oh, he's so wild and crazy on stage. Or, you know, that's always been like a positive thing in a way for a rock band. But I don't know if you guys knew this, but he was later diagnosed with Asperger's. Ah. And then the guy who diagnosed him <laughs> said that his life was pretty much a series of all the worst things you could do for someone with Asperger's. Oh man. Being in different places every day, meeting new people, no structure in your life. And it was just, you know, when I read about that, I'm like, oh, he wasn't putting this on, you know, this was authentic. And that made me like the whole deal a lot more when I knew that it was an authentic thing and not someone trying to be outrageous like as a plan like oh we're going on letterman tonight we got to be outrageous you know watch some nirvana videos from back in the day watch some crazy front men that maybe you know this was a real thing that is really interesting that does kind of give it some different context i was going to say i heard and this is i didn't know that and this sort of jives i don't know if this is true this is a story i heard from a friend when i was in high school who went and saw them i'm assuming it's true but i don't know but someone went and saw them and told me that they played and towards the end of the first song, they like destroyed the set as if it was the end of the whole show. <laughs> <laughs> like they finished the song and pulled like same as the end of the SNL, like pulled the drum kit apart, smashed guitars. And then once that was over, then like looked and we're like, oh man, we got to like keep playing. And they had to leave the stage for like 20 minutes while the crew came and fixed everything. Wow. At the time I was like, that is like so bizarre. And I, I didn't know how to feel. I'm like, is that cool? Is that disrespectful to an audience? Is that just like dickish <laughs> behavior? I don't know. But now hearing that like Asperger's, that does actually, that would explain all that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. I mean, first of, to a degree. first of all, that story you just told, I think that's funny. <laughs> like to destroy your instruments in the first song to like just ma make a mess on stage in the first song is really funny. I mean, that's some wild performance art, man. That's right, out there. Right. I feel if it was because of the Asperger's, then I feel bad saying that's funny, but it's just, I think it's cool. You know, I think yeah. that's, well, that's I also funny. I feel like if this is early enough in their career where someone's seeing the vine, so I'm assuming it's when highly evolved is out. Like, if you listen to that record, almost every one of those songs ends like you could start breaking up your equipment at the end of each song. So yeah. it makes sense that like every song you've just got this high energy that you need to release. Hey, yeah. Matt, how do you feel about breaking instruments? You know, I have never done that no. in my entire life. And I feel like anybody who plays rock music, there's some little part of your brain that has that fantasy of like, yeah. wouldn't that be a cool thing to do? But <laughs> yeah. that, another part of me, as I, I'm just a little too practical. I would yeah. feel too sad, even if it was something to, to throw away. I'd be like, oh man, why am I breaking this thing? I could probably use it or sell it or that's something where, else. That's where I'm at with it, man, is just that part of me, yeah, believe me, everybody has that fantasy. I don't care if you play yeah. in a band or you're just pretending to yeah. in the mirror. Everyone has that yeah. fantasy of it's the end of the show and you're breaking the instruments. That's just like the yeah. ultimate rock and roll thing. But on the other hand, I don't know where I stand on this. It's like 
I think to myself, oh, I broke this instrument. I could have gave that to a kid who couldn't afford yeah. who couldn't afford a guitar or something. That that's such a guilty thing to think about. Totally. Weirdly, like when people do the subversion of it in the sense of like when we think about breaking instruments, we're obviously thinking about like smashing the guitars and basses on the ground or like throwing something through a bass drum. But that's why I think I have such an extra love for like Ben Folds like just spearing the stool into the middle of the piano, or like I think Weird Al at a few shows has lit his his accordion on fire a la Jimi Hendrix like yeah. that stuff it's like that's so over the because it's such like a not traditional rock and roll instrument to like yeah. smash up like that makes me extra happy when that happens. you know be the funniest idea ever and I'm gonna try to get my band to do it now is to just while you're playing your last song hand off your real instruments and someone can continue playing and you get to smash like some fake instruments maybe some yeah. some yeah. plastic get, like, children's toys yeah. buy like the children toy instruments and just smash yeah. them up on smash the stage. Those. yeah that's a good idea that's a good idea Chris yeah. you guys should definitely do that I think I think I, I found the happy medium you know <laughs> Uh, That's it. Compromise. Yeah. Something that I thought was pretty interesting, too, that I read was, okay, Dave Grohl seems to be the nicest guy in rock and roll. Could you imagine him, like, being an asshole? I, I mean, I guess I can, but in general, doesn't he seem pretty cool, pretty nice? Yes. So Dave Grohl, in Spin Magazine in 2003 said that Avril Lavigne's Skater Boy was more challenging of a song than Get Free. That, <laughs> like, And I don't know why or, or what, what spawned that comment. So for what it's worth, we just did a thing a couple of years ago where we did covers in studio as requests. Um, right. we, have, we have a Patreon and we let people make requests of stuff they wanted us to cover. And one of the songs that won was Skater Boy. Yeah. And honestly surprisingly challenging yeah right (laughs) (laughs) it has a lot of weird chord changes and stuff and uh it moves in a strange way i don't know it's got a key change that i didn't even catch right it's i would say it is definitely harder to play than get free i don't know if that makes it a better song but no the the one thing definitely more challenging (laughs) the one thing that get free does have which which i never even noticed until i was doing the research on this was that it it doesn't really follow a traditional song structure in a in a normal way instead of like verse chorus verse it's like verse chorus guitar solo return to verse cut to bridge back to first verse into chorus but it's also like the first verse and the chorus are basically just one extended chorus like it's just it's very it's a very weird song but i feel like it's not like a hey we know how to write a song so let's like be subversive with how we're writing it i think it's like we don't know what we're doing and we're just like going with what feels like it's the coolest thing to do at that moment and i i think that that's a positive for get free is that it has that like raw just like throwing shit and seeing what happens energy to it touched on a a good word there matt is that it sounds cool. Like yeah. there's something about yes. their style that does. It sounds cool. It sounds hip. It sounds, you know, the the tones they're using, the the way it sounds, which, you know, put them right. That's why they're lumped. Minus having uh, the name with S at the end. <laughs> they, but how they got lumped in with the Strokes and the Hives and White Stripes and and that style, it does sound cool. And maybe honestly, that makes me think. Now that you now that you say that, Matt, about covering it. Maybe he was. Maybe Dave Grohl wasn't talking shit. Maybe he was just complimenting Skater Boy, 
I would yeah. say maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we need to know the context of that question. Right. Like, you know what I mean? Like, was it like, what's your thoughts on the vines or what's your thoughts on Avril Lavigne? Well, <laughs> like, you know, what I assumed was that, oh, the vines are like a Nirvana ripoff and and Dave Grohl was like, oh, what, what the hell is this? And was talking shit, but maybe he wasn't. But <laughs> that same year, Rolling Stone <laughs> wrote in his article that spending time with Craig Nichols, the, the singer of the vines, Makes him feel like he's babysitting his three-year-old nephew. <laughs> oh, so, man. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, once again, we're not holding it against him if, you know, he has challenges that the rest of us don't, you know? Sure. But sure, sure, to sure. a certain extent, yes. But at the same time, like, maybe on top of that, maybe he was an asshole, too. You know, like, just y- y- you can't yeah. rule that out of the picture. But you got to give him some leeway if he's struggling with something that maybe we don't or has challenges that we don't, I don't, you know, I, I'm trying to word that the right way. You guys know what I mean. Oh no, yeah. I know what you mean. <laughs> yeah, I do you know yeah, what you yeah, mean. Of course. Right. Of course. So they had their moment, I guess get free was the peak of that. Matt, what, how big of a song actually was that? I'm surprised that song ride wasn't bigger. Not particularly. You, so you're telling me this was the one it's complicated. Cause it's all about, again, the billboard charts are so fucking hard to like translate sometimes. So get free was like, I think it reached like number two or three on the modern rock charts at the time or on the alternative charts. Yeah. Ride only got to like 19 on the alternative charts, but then on the modern rock charts, which I don't understand what the difference is between alternative and modern rock at this point, but on the modern rock charts, get free is the only song that was ever big enough on the alternative charts to make a boost into like the actual mainstream rock station charts. Mm -hmm. So I think that like, Ride was that song that's perfect for like a Zach Braff movie. You know what I mean? Like they're like, this is the perfect song for the background of this scene. Whereas like you look at the movies that get free appears in and it's like agent Cody banks and school for scoundrels. (laughs) Like these like movies where you need that like crazy high energy song. And I just think that by the time, like these songs are coming out, like at the time that the vines are making music, we're not needing that like that aggressive grungy sound in our soundtracks as much. Like we're moving more towards like the indie films or like the, the dramedy type movies where it's like, you're going to go with a song like ride when you're putting together a soundtrack for most movies over get free. Like to the point that if, if someone was to use get free in a movie in 2022, I would assume it was for a very ironic, supposed to be funny usage of the song. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think it's like, man, something really cool is happening right now. <laughs> yeah. Or you're just trying to date your scene as being taking place yeah. in the early 2000s. Exactly. The overall sound of this band from the songs that I know really do in a way fit in that mold of what I would call Scott Pilgrim music, which <laughs> I, I absolutely love that movie. I would say it's like probably Me in my too. top 20 favorite movies. I'm just, yeah. every time I watch it, I enjoy it. I think the music's amazing. And yeah, Beck was behind a lot of that and, and everything, which makes sense. But the Vines sort of fit in there. And what's funny is I was watching Vines music videos. And did you guys happen to see the music video for the song? Give me love. No, it looks exactly like Scott Pilgrim. Like, (laughs) I don't know what came first, whether that movie came first 
or if the video came first, but one or wow. the other ripped the other off. Cause it is <laughs> when you watch it, you'll be like, Oh, this is Scott Pilgrim to the point where I was like, was this on the soundtrack? And then they, but I couldn't find anything about that. It was, it's like exactly Scott Pilgrim, you know, all the things that happened while they're playing, like the animated effects that come out, the, the eight bit graphics that come up on the screen, just everything about it. It looks like Scott Pilgrim, which, you know, Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. How's the song? I thought the song was pretty cool. That's the thing about this band, man, is like, I don't see myself putting them on and listening to them for some reason, but at the same time I put it on, I'm like, yeah, this is pretty good. Like, and they had some cool music videos and I do like his vocal delivery. I think it's cool. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm not going to lie here. I've become a factor fanatic lately. I'm a busy guy and getting to eat restaurant quality meals that are ready to heat and eat in two minutes has been amazing. Eating better is easy with factors, delicious, ready to eat meals. Every fresh, never frozen meal is chef crafted, dietitian approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You have 35 different options to choose from every week, including calorie smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. And also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. I've been spreading the word to everyone I know, not just here on the podcast, but in person as well. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. You get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. And the math doesn't lie. Factor is less expensive than takeout, Plus, considering every meal is dietitian approved, it's also nutritious and delicious. So what are you waiting for? Get started today by heading to factormeals.com slash one hit 50 and use the code one hit 50 to get 50% off. That's code one hit 50. The words one hit and the number 50 that is at factormeals.com slash one hit 50 to get 50% off. The smell of the video store. I love this place. Do you remember when you could just look at the walls of covers? We had to choose just by looking at the cover and reading the crappy synopsis. It was, you were leaving with one. And the only way to know what new movies were coming out is you actually had to watch the trailers instead of skipping them. Right, we didn't have the internet to look it up. We had one guy named Todd behind the counter that would (laughs) tell us what was good or not. And Todd strangely liked way too many romantic comedies. Yes, but you always knew when the boobies were coming because Todd made sure. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and remember all the awful CG we had to put up with in the mid-90s? We talk about that a lot, don't we? Join us on Analog Jones and the Temple Film where we talk about VHS tapes. And we wax nostalgia like none other. I thought to myself when I was like revisiting some of this material that it was, I don't know if, have you guys done Jet on this show? No, but yeah, that's another band right in this wheelhouse. Jet, I think, weirdly had 
more songs that cracked into the mainstream than you remember. They very well might have, but I was yeah. going to say that to me, this when I cycled through a few of their tracks, it was like they remind me more of Jet type of thing than I would have realized, but I prefer them to anything I ever heard by Jet. <laughs> yeah, Jet's another one. All I can think of is Are You Gonna Be My Girl? I don't know. Yeah, exactly. I know they probably had some other songs just like with the Vines where I'd be like, oh yeah, I know that song. It's been in the mm, back yeah. background of this Volkswagen commercial or something. Yeah. <laughs> Once again, what that sound is, like what makes me not want to listen to it is that, yeah, it just sounds like someone with a lot of money behind them trying to sound like they don't have a lot of money behind them. And that's me being judgy, but Hey, that's what this podcast is all about. I can't help it sometimes, you know, it's just, I, I totally get it. I also think it's interesting. Cause like, so this we're, t- you know, comparing them to a band like the strokes who I think sounded really slick in yeah. a way that the vines do not, but the vines also don't sound quite as raw as a band like the White Stripes, who yeah. were out at the same time. Those guys were like, you know, you, again, I'm still a major label band, but when the White Stripes present themselves as this really raw, like, you know, modern rock band, like, I buy it. Yeah. I don't buy yeah. it with the Vines in the same way. And that's, I think the, I think the thing that worked with something like the White Stripes specifically, as the example is like, you know, you have Meg White, who has a very like, I'm not going to sit here and be like the people who jump on her as like being the worst drummer in the world. She is the perfect drummer for what the White Stripes is. And I think that that's what made it feel so raw is it's like, I think in 2021, it's another one of those examples of like the ebbs and flows. What what made me like the the band so much at that time was that it did feel like a return to like what grunge had done to hair metal where like everything was too glossy and too like hyper produced. And then like in came this music that felt like it didn't have a lot of extra layers on it, even if they were working with like some of the biggest producers. Mm -hmm. And like, you think about like the music of like the late nineties where it is starting to like get back, like the pop music is coming back. You're having the boy bands on TRL and stuff like that. So to have something that again, like the white stripes and the vines feels like those recordings could have just been like, they put a microphone in their bedroom, hit record and just played like kind of was like, Oh yeah. Like we're getting back to just like this cool, just straight raw rock and roll again. Absolutely. Yeah. You touched right on it, Matt. This is absolutely true. I've read about this. I've heard about this on podcasts that that era of the late 90s where it was new metal and boy bands is what was popular that these publications rolling stone spin uh, enemy any of the big rock publications had to write about that music and they hated it so yeah. it's almost like they ushered they they welcomed this music the vines the, the strokes especially white stripes with open arms they were like oh this is refreshing but they felt it it was so refreshing compared to what was being forced down everybody's throat. But in actuality, it was kind of just sounded like stuff that had already been done. It wasn't like it, super original. And no. you've brought, you've ta- you've talked about 9-11 before too, and I've heard 9-11. That's what I was going to say. This brought- is also a post-9-11 world where it's like you want something that feels like it's in pieces and no structure because like 
our lives in two th- late well, 2021, early 2022 felt like it had no direction and no structure. 2001, like, 2002 is uh, yeah, what I think yeah, you meant. That's what, whatever. Yeah, that's what <laughs> that's I meant what to I say. Think you whatever. Meant. <laughs> Not last year <laughs> and this close year. close enough. <laughs> but close enough. But <laughs> also, I mean, this is kind of more referring to the strokes, but also read about this. Once again, the strokes, I do think they backed it up musically. I like the strokes. I think their music I is too. good. I think their music is good, but- not only did they have all the money and all the connections in the world, but they also were embraced by the journalists and things because they were a New York City band. And New York City, just this pride in New York City yeah. and, and the music coming out of it. And they were the poster boys of that. And if these other the bands, even though they were from Australia or Sweden, wherever these bands were from, they were still the similar sound and maybe they benefited from that too, possibly. Yeah. It's really interesting. I never would have thought of it that way that like journalists arguably like kind of put their finger on the scale a little bit there and, and, uh, invited this movement to happen. Cause I also was thinking these bands really hit their ultimate high point right when I was like exiting high school and going into college. So I was really involved in in that world at that time. And I was super into it all, but it feels, I don't know if like, has there been a movement like that since has anyone experienced this like return of the rock mentality since this like early two thousands? I don't remember it. I mean, there's always ebb and flow to it, but like this really felt like they were trying to hype it huge right now. I think kind of not, not necessarily Mm. the return of rock and roll, but like there's definitely this big push of like the biggest pop stars in the world are doing more like punk rock, pop punk, sounds which has sure. been getting yeah, a lot yeah. of attention because they're all collaborating with Travis. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I think that what I always see is just uh, any style of me. I saw it in, in the world that, that I'm involved in is you heard the bands that were pretty raw. Like I, I could think of like raw, but, but really well produced, but still like great sounds. Like think of like rancid and out come the wolves. Like, that sure. that album it's produced amazing but still like sounds real right yeah but yeah, the, yeah, yeah. but so that's like whatever 95 or something like that and then you, in that world of punk rock by 10 years later the world of punk rock has has gotten to a point where things are so produced things are so crazy produced that like that bands can't even pull it off live and i think that that you know, every style of music go will, will go through that until it gets so produced that people are like, this doesn't even sound real. And then it comes crashing down. Then you need a band like Nirvana is the perfect example because you had all the yeah. overproduced whatever hair metal and whatever of the eighties. And I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know where, where we stand with that. I don't think that that's happened again yet. I, no, not, not on the level of, you know, where music magazines are like, this is it. This is the return of this sound. But I do feel like I've seen a little bit of that between like Olivia Rodrigo's album and like what Machine Gun Kelly's been up to. And then all of the other SoundCloud rappers like Machine Gun Kelly that are also like doing their own version of a Blink-182 record out of nowhere. Like there was a vibe last summer that it was like, it was the return of the pop punk sound of 2001 in 2021. Yeah, but, but it's, it's being like adopted by the pop world, which is so yeah. interesting because it's like, I don't think anybody really would consider Machine Gun Kelly like a rock artist. No. Even if he makes a record straight in that world. Same for Olivia Rodrigo or any of these, any of these people. Like they're grabbing elements of it, but they're just bringing it into you know, pop radio 
um, land as opposed to being like a band and that entire, you know, everything that gets wrapped up in being a band. I, I guess Rolling Stone and Spin aren't a good example anymore because they're more just online. Like I see articles come up on Facebook and I click on them and then it's like, oh, you got to subscribe to read this article. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, I'm not yeah. going to read that article then, which is <laughs> maybe rude of me. But at the same time, like what makes these publications decide which artists to write about? I mean, sometimes an artist is so undeniably amazing that you're like, we got to write about this. This is groundbreaking. This is amazing. But a lot of times I'm like, why are they making a big deal about this particular band who, I don't know, there's a lot of bands that are just as good as this band. Why are you picking this band to really focus on? I have some examples yeah. <laughs> in my head. I don't want to trash bands and artists, you know, especially ones that are like in my, in maybe somewhat in my world. But I'm just saying that like, what makes them decide? Is it someone got paid? to do it is, is it like I, I don't understand in some somebody. cases it is somebody got paid and i think also it's interesting that like we were talking about like so the vines like say 2002 right this 2002 2003 time yeah. i think it was easier for a publication to break an artist because people at that point still were pretty reliant on radio and mtv and trl and all of these types of things that were happening at that like that all still was in place and now they don't have as much sway with it like they can't they can't push so they're instead they're going the opposite direction and they're chasing clicks they're right. trying to write about the things that are going to yield the clicks and either uh, either they're going to generate them through if people pay them they'll try but otherwise they're they're trying to get you to click on stuff based on writing about people who people want to read about. I think that's fair. I, I want to propose a question, part of one of the new segments that we've added to the show, but I was thinking about it with this particular song. Who in 2022 would you want to hear cover Get Free by the Vines? Wow. <laughs> I mean, nobody. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I think this, actually, I think the song's pretty good, but that's kind of a hard question. It's so it specific is. of a sound. So I was thinking about that because I'm like, all right, obviously like, the last time we proposed this question, it was for Lucas with a lid off and, you know, I went with BTS. But like, I'm thinking like, what what is happening on rock radio? Like, what are some of the bands that are currently doing all right on rock radio that I think would get that raw, chaotic sound down? And I kind of landed on Royal Blood, if either of you have ever heard the band Royal Blood. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, they're just a drummer and a and a dude who's got a bass that's like built to get guitar tones out of it. And I yeah. think just the two of them could make a really cool version of get free. I can see that. I can see that. The other, I was just thinking of someone like that in the pop world, like with Travis Barker, like you were referencing, like it would be a pretty cool thing to hear someone like Willow Smith do. Yeah. That, I would say, yeah, that's exactly who I was going to say. It's <laughs> like, like I, that I could see her like channeling. I, I would like to hear a lady sing this song. I think that would be yeah. cool in a very different way. Right. So that would, yeah, that'd be my vote. I don't, yeah. I don't want to hear just someone do this song exactly how it was done. Hearing a woman sing this would be cool. And okay, since you brought her up, we got to talk about this <laughs> for, just for a second. Speaking of Willow Smith and, and we'll, we'll pivot to Will Smith. Did you know they're making a dramatic reimagination of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air? No. Dude. Dude. <laughs> no. Dude. Seriously? The trailer just came out today. Like, literally <laughs> 10 minutes before we were about to start recording this, I'm sending it to all my friends. It, it's, it'll, it's trending everywhere. You'll, you'll obviously yeah. see it when you get off here. It is like a serious, dramatic reimagination. Like, there's scenes of, like, it's, it's all new 
actors. It's not it's, it's yeah, Riverdale. Yeah. It, they they Riverdale Fresh Prince basically. I can see why you're saying Riverdale, but it's like, yeah, like the, the scenes that when when Will Smith's getting beat up back in Philadelphia playing basketball, it's like someone pulling a gun out. You know, there's Cops guns, came and, yeah, and guns involved, everybody. and like, <laughs> like it's very wow. serious. Uncle Phil looks very serious in this role, <laughs> and Carlton, Carlton is not doing his dance. He's much more serious. I mean, you gotta watch it. Matt said, who asked for this? <laughs> I said, it's a good question, but I'm definitely going to watch it. I am most definitely going to watch it. But it's so uh, fascinating. So it's it's going to be a series again? Yeah, on Peacock. Yeah, who asked for it is a really good question. I don't know. I mean, I guess I can sort of see the merit of like, Will Smith arrives and they're like, look, this is a serious situation, guys. Yeah, yeah like, that's, that's what it is. Trouble. You are a yeah. troubled youth. That's what it is. <laughs> like you, you got it on the nose. You're not, you're not off. This is what it is. It's yeah. like- you know, he came out of here for a reason. And, you know, basically Uncle Phil's like, well, if he's not going to play by the rules, then he doesn't belong. You know, which I guess the wow. I guess the original Uncle Phil was kind of that way, but it was a comedy for the most part. Feels like an SNL sketch. This is kind of like if, I don't know, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air was Friday Night Lights or something. It's like, it's like serious stuff. Anyway, back to the vines. Back to the vines. Back to the vines here. Matt, did you, uh, did you, uh, one of the, you know, you said you picked this because you wanted to pick a song you didn't like. And I know that there's a particular artist that you and I have a mutual admiration for. Uh, the fact that Weird Al briefly covered it in the Angry White Boy polka, did that come into play at all? <laughs> it, it, it did make an appearance in a Weird Al polka, which is they should be, uh, I hope that they are sufficiently proud of themselves because that is a huge, <laughs> huge accomplishment. No, I, you know, and the other thing is I didn't like it when it came out. I probably like it more now. When I listen back to it after not hearing it for a really long time, I probably enjoy it more now. And when I think back to it, I realize that like it is very Nirvana. I mean, again, it's all anybody was saying at the time, which I think was probably one of the things that turned me off was like, I don't need to hear someone doing their impression of Nirvana. Mm -hmm. Like uh, that's not super interesting to me. And I think all of those other bands that we keep referencing from that time period all sounded, I mean, they clearly had reference, like throwback references. They all did, but None of them so on the nose as this. Right. Where now it's like, you know, th this feels like the equivalent to me of the, you know, Greta Van Fleet Led Zeppelin comparisons where it's like, yes. you know, what are, what are you doing here, guys? Like you're basically cos <laughs> cosplaying as another band. <laughs> At least the Vines admit it. They liked Nirvana. Like the yeah, amount of times exactly. that Greta Van Fleet's like, we don't we've never heard Led Zeppelin. It's like, how? How is that possible? <laughs> is that for real? <laughs> is that a real yeah, thing? They have said that. I, I didn't even mind their Led Zeppelin thing until I heard them say that they were not familiar with it. I was like, come on, guys. Like, you can't. Like, you've not heard Led Zeppelin. Like, there's just no way. Like, I'm not familiar with these Beatles that you speak of. Exactly. Like, yeah. Now listening to Get Free, I actually think it's I think it's a pretty cool. It's so short. Like, it really yeah. kind of gets the point across really fast. I love you referenced, like, my favorite thing about the song is that really short bridge that it goes to. It's like yeah. a four bar bridge where the whole song kind of opens up and changes the vibe, which I really, really dig. Yeah. And I, I mean, very quickly glancing through, I was impressed. They have a lot of records at this point and just like kind of passing through them. I don't, I'm not, I have not kept up with them. That's for sure. But it's, they sound not bad at all. And like, they're kind of just, I, I respect any band that's like, you know, plugging away and doing their thing and, you know, just kind of continuing to try to make it work, which it seems like they have done still in Australia. Now they're just kind of like an Australia Band, I don't think they tour too much anymore, but he keeps right. making records. Hey, I, re I respect that. I mean, yeah. Did the Vines bring the one hit thunder or are they a one hit blunder is the question. 
and it's a tough one this week. This is a tough one. Yeah, this is a tough one. What do you think, Matt Kelly? Start start it out. I'll, I'll start us off with a thunder. I'll, I'll say thunder. I I mean, I think that highly evolved. I, I bought maybe three or four of their albums because I, like I said, I was really into the the band thing. I was going to buy any record that any of them put out for a while. As they matured, they got better. I think highly evolved is probably the worst of the three albums that I own by them, but they still have good songs on them. Get Free, I do think, is a fun song. Uh, The follow-up single to this, Out of the Way, I remember really, really liking when that song came out. So I I think that they're interesting. And you know what? I've watched that David Letterman performance more than most bands I adore's live (laughs) performances, so that's got to count for something, too. Yeah. (laughs) All right, Mr. Matthew Milligan, what's what's your vote here? I think I'm leaning the same way, even though I I didn't like it at the time that it came out. I do think that they were part of a interesting time. And I think that at that point, those bands making records like this was a really interesting musical moment that, to be honest, maybe this is just my age coming into play, but I do miss like the fact that I missed that time where it felt like there was space in pop music for this type of rock. Right. Like her t- space on the radio, space in like just the collective pop culture consciousness for this type of music, and now it's not there anymore. So I like the fact that they were they were around for it. I like that they're you know still plugging away and doing their thing. So yeah, I'm I'm leaning towards Thunder. Which I, honestly, even when I said I wanted to pick the song, I didn't think I was going to go that way. But well, it's already going to be majority for Thunder anyway. But I would also give them a Thunder for a few reasons. Number one. I think the music's pretty good. Same, same as you. I, I didn't really like it at the time, but now I look back, I'm like, oh, this is pretty good. And it is cool that this was what, what was popular instead of like, I don't know, a bro country song and a song, yeah. a, a song about Applebee's or something yeah, like a song about going to Applebee's. Yeah. I'll take, uh-huh. I'll take get free on the radio right now over that fucking Applebee's yeah, song. I mean, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> right. So that part of it, another part of it that, when I when I did my research on this, kind of pisses me off. Is so NME says they're the best band since Nirvana, but then later apologize for saying that. So you said that, then you didn't like what the Vines did, and then or didn't like them personally, and then said no, we didn't mean that. Like what? Kind, that's the same kind of thing as like Pitchfork going back and changing albums that they gave a bad review, then later giving a good review because oh. People like these now. So what kind of journalism is that? That's just <laughs> that's just terrible. That's terrible journalism. And also, I'm basing once again, I'm basing this off stuff I'm reading on the internet. <laughs> but yeah. I believe it's true that singer and guitarist Craig Nichols had some things he had to deal with that a lot of us don't have to deal with. And if that contributed to some of his actions or the way he was perceived by people, I think it's a little unfair of us to uh you know crucify him for that and also i think it's cool that him and whoever from (laughs) definitely him and whoever else can tolerate being around him and making music is still making music and that's always a big blunder for me is when someone achieves a certain level that they can just make music and then they just quit that makes me that's an instant blunder to me you know but i super respect when people just like realize what they have, you know, I feel like you, you and I met, we, we, we realized that in our, in our, in our musical careers that, that there are people that care so that, yeah, that, yeah, that's yeah. a motivating factor to want to keep making music. And I think that that's what 
the Vines have done, at least Craig Nichols of the Vines. And I respect him for that. Thunder for me, the Vines. I also think just one, because I only just thought of this, it's interesting to think, you know, maybe a part of why they have existed on a lower profile might be due to his, you know, mental health concerns. And I do know, I did see something about him staying off the road was a big deal. Like being on tour was hard for him. Right. So maybe the low profile, like we're going to release records and I think they play a couple shows occasionally, but not a lot. And maybe that's just a, a, a mature like responsible way to take care of himself while still making his music, which I, again, respect tremendously. It's like doing it for the right reasons. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Matthew, is there uh, anywhere if people want to check out the stuff that you're doing, are you doing anything cool right around now? Yes. Thank you for asking. <laughs> At the time you're listening to this, uh, Weedus should actually have a new pair of songs up on Spotify and nice. uh, all the streaming services. So you can check those out. Also, I am in Los Angeles uh, doing a residency of shows with Mike Doty, um, who you might know formerly of the band Soul Coughing. He's got a new project, and we're doing very, very musically adventurous, weirdo, improv, rock and roll, funk, jazz, hybrid, all over the place shows. And they're free uh, at a place uh, in LA called Harvard and Stone, and we're doing them every Friday in January and February. So if you are around and you are vaccinated and have your mask, then come see us play. Hell yeah. Nice. Yeah. Eight o'clock on Fridays at uh, Harvard and Stone. Nice. You know I don't like sports, so why you playing these games with my head? You act like I'm not hurt, so explain to me why I'm sitting the This has been One Hit Thunder. One Hit Thunder is hosted by Chris Ophelios of the bands Punchline, Pack, and Another Cheetah, and produced by Matt Kelly of Geekscape.net. Underneath me, you're hearing I Don't Know off the Punchline album Major Motion Picture. Visit punchline.com for information on future shows, releases, and merchandise. Also, we're on Patreon now. Visit us at patreon.com backslash OHT podcast for bonus material, early access to episodes, and a chance to help decide what songs we'll discuss in the future. Do you want to hear your song as the closing song one day? Or do you have an interest in sponsoring an episode? Contact me at matt at geekscape.net for our rates. If you have any interest in podcasting, visit weknowpodcasting.com for how Matt and Chris can make your show sound as professional as possible. And let us know your thoughts on the show by emailing us at onehitthunderpodcast at gmail.com. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting app. And tune in next week for another episode of One Hit Thunder. Guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to us talking about our podcast for a minute. What's the name of that podcast? That's Axe to Grind. Uh, and right now you're going to be getting a little, a little taste of it right down to the shaky microphone and all. 
And my name's Bob. And my name's Patrick. And usually we're joined by Tom. Tom's the best. Tom has a real grown-up job that requires him to be at work. But we talk about decidedly not-so-grown-up things like... Hardcore music and things that people that like hardcore music tend to like. So that could be the latest shows, uh, revisiting classic material, talking about the new classics... Um, all the little dorm room nonsense that you imagine from a niche music podcast that, that you either love, want to love, or hate. Yeah, imagine all the emotions that you have towards a genre that, that uh, has impacted your life uh, and then condense them down to an hour to two hours a week. So triangulate your speakers. Think about jumping off the bed, singing along, dancing like an idiot and listen to Axe Grind Podcast. <laughs>